Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Learning. IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. Get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com NPR. Hey there, this is James Edward Mills, the official photographer for the U.S. Capitol Christmas tree. I'm on my way home after photographing the harvest and delivery of my ninth tree. The 63-foot Norway spruce was harvested on the Monongahela National Forest of West Virginia. This podcast was recorded at... 1.06 p.m. on Monday, November 20th, 2023. Things may have changed by the time you hear this, but hopefully you'll get a chance to see the people's tree and beautiful lights on the west lawn of the U.S. Capitol. Here's the show. Christmas! That is expertise, <laughs> man. That's that a massive that tree. Your ninth Ooh. capital Christmas tree. That guy knows how to photograph he's, that. I was going to say, he's seen it. He's seen it many times. He's a pro. I love that. He knows its angle. He knows its angles. Hey there, it's the NPR Politics Podcast. I'm Deepa Shivaram. I cover the White House. I'm Danielle Kurtzleben. I cover politics. And I'm Ashley Lopez. I also cover politics. And today on the pod, how Republican presidential candidates are trying to thread the needle on one of the biggest and thorniest issues in the primary race, abortion. Abortion has been a driving force motivating Republican base voters for decades. But since the Supreme Court decision overturning Roe versus Wade, Democrats, independents and swing voters have been turning out in election after election to preserve abortion rights. We've seen it in Kansas, Ohio, Virginia. Danielle, you've done a lot of reporting on this. We know that this has been an issue for decades. But how have the political dynamics around abortion shifted in these recent past few years? Well, the political dynamics have shifted in a huge way ever since the Supreme court's Dobbs decision overturning Roe v. Wade, Republicans in particular have all sorts of new questions to face because Roe v. Wade set a standard of viability of around 24 weeks. Now, with that gone, states can set the gestational limits that they would like to. And so the Republicans, as the party that tends to oppose abortion rights, they are faced with the question of how much do you restrict those rights in any given state? That really change the game board on this in a big way, particularly for Republican voters, because prior to that, you had Republicans who would talk about being, as they're phrasing, pro-life, opposing abortion rights. Uh, And that generally unified Republican voters who would who could mostly more or less put themselves in the same camp as each other. Right. But now, since Dobbs, this is up to the states. And so many states have attempted to restrict abortion rights. And what have we seen in all of those states? In every single state that a referendum has been put forward, a constitutional amendment has been put forward, anything, we have seen voters, even in red states, vote in favor of abortion rights. So now the Republican Party is faced with threading, as you said, a very particular needle. For example, I was in Kansas covering the proposed constitutional amendment that could have greatly restricted abortion access in that state. And it was surprisingly not hard for me to find Republican and Republican-leaning voters who wanted to vote in favor of abortion rights. There are plenty of Republican voters out there who don't want to go as far as some of their Republican brethren. Yeah, and this is an issue that you know, you wouldn't really see Republican voters being split on 
for quite a long time. Like everyone kind of fell in line on this, as we said, for literally years and years and years, election after election. And this is an interesting split, not only for Republican voters, but also for candidates, for candidates who are running for president right now. We saw a little bit of this play out just this past weekend when Nikki Haley was asked about abortion at a conference of Christian conservatives in Iowa. Ashley, what did we hear from Nikki Haley then and and how has that played out in the last couple of days? Well, I think Haley was specifically asked whether, you know, if she was governor still of South Carolina, whether she would sign a six week ban on abortion. And she said yes. I mean, she said I think the quote was yes, whatever the people decide. And this is notable because somewhat recently we heard Nikki Haley strike a softer tone on abortion during the latest debate. And so, I mean, it's really interesting because. You know, for the most part, how candidates are dealing with this issue gives you a pretty good insight into what slice of the Republican like voter pie they're trying to Mm. carve out for themselves. And candidates like Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis are really trying to appeal to more base Republican voters, those Christian conservatives. But they also know that if they somehow become the Republican nominee, which still remains kind of a long shot for them. But, you know, if that, that is the position that they're in later whatever they're saying now to those base voters is going to be a liability for them moving forward. Maybe a shorthand that you can use for this is striking a moderate tone without being moderate on abortion. Because all of the candidates, when they come before a Republican audience in campaigning for this primary for these caucuses, they are identifying as Mm -hmm. pro-life. I mean, Donald Trump is getting out there and saying, I'm the most pro-life president Mm -hmm. ever. Mm -hmm. Nikki Haley always talks about being strongly pro-life. Ron DeSantis, very much. This is not a group of candidates who are in any way trying to be moderate on the issue. But they do know, once again, that abortion has gotten much more tricky for them post-Dobbs. They know that when they see these votes in Kansas and Ohio and so on, That is a very clear sign that there are even some Republicans who might be displeased with too staunch of a quote unquote pro-life stance. The question is, are those people primary voters? Maybe not. Mm -hmm. But they are probably the people that they think would be in their column in a general election. Yeah. And it's interesting. I mean, this is just fascinating because of this dance that Republican candidates are trying to do. And at the same time, on the other side of the aisle, you see the DNC, you see the Biden campaign uh, being really adamant that, no, moderate is not the word to describe, you know, what the Nikki Haley's of the world are saying. And and that kind of a response, I think, is something you're going to hear from Democrats more and more uh, to try to counter that kind of uh, juggling and that dance that we were saying before that candidates are trying to do. But we mentioned Trump and and how he's sort of been speaking on this issue. Some silence relatively when it comes to a federal abortion ban. A little confusing there. What does Trump believe in this? It's not so much silence as a lot of kind of confusing tap dancing. Mm -hmm. And I really think Trump's stance on abortion is best captured in this September clip from NBC's Meet the Press. He's talking to Kristen Welker here, and she asked him, what would you do on abortion if you were elected president again? We're going to agree to a number of weeks or months or however you want to define it. And both sides are going to come together and both sides, both sides. And this is a big statement. Both sides will come together. And for the first time in 52 years, you'll have an issue that we can put behind us. At the federal level? Uh, It could be state or it could be federal. I don't frankly care. So what does that mean? Exactly. (laughs) I mean, he really, really has a lack of specificity on this. And you hear some of that lack of specificity from Nikki Haley, too. But in the case of Trump, right, he so he's saying there, I'm not going to say yes or no to a federal ban. And furthermore, he he truly seems to believe that he is going to get 
stakeholders from both the pro and anti-abortion right sides somehow into a room right. to agree to some sort of restriction on this issue. At least this is what he says. And but odds of that, that seems difficult. Negative yeah. 10% roughly? Like that doesn't seem like that's rooted in reality. Yeah. I mean, not surprisingly, like this is just another example of Trump not really having to play by any of the political rules that everyone else mm. is having to play by. And quite frankly, he doesn't need to. Right. He's well ahead of any of his challengers in the primary so far. And he really hasn't faced any backlash from his own core group of supporters for not participating in any of the debates and not talking about this. And he, you know, not really doing a lot of meaningful interviews on policy about this. So unlike Haley and DeSantis, for example, he really hasn't been too pressed on weighing in on policy. The main way that Trump is communicating with his voters ahead of the election right now, you know, besides some social media, of course, is rallies. And rallies are a one-way kind of conversation. And what he's been saying in his rallies is he's posturing himself as this quite like pro-life person. And he also takes credit for the Supreme Court overturning Roe v. Wade. So in a lot of ways, you know, he kind of is like, I've already done most of the work that all these people, you know, are hoping to achieve. And because he's not talking about in his rallies, I will say, his supporters at those rallies don't care much about this issue as well, because when I ask them what they care about, abortion has never come up. And I've been to a couple of Trump rallies in Iowa where there are plenty of white evangelical voters who very much care about abortion. And I've pressed some of these voters on the fact that Trump has been less than specific on his stances. And they have said, well, he is he opposes abortion rights, just like me. I mean, they really see him as having already proven himself on yeah. this. We've been talking about a little bit about where voters are standing on this issue, and we'll get more to that after this break. This message comes from NPR sponsor Charles Schwab with their original podcast, Choiceology. Choiceology is a show about the psychology and economics behind people's decisions. Download the latest episode and subscribe at schwab.com slash podcast. This message comes from NPR sponsor Charles Schwab with its original podcast on investing. Each week, you'll get thoughtful, in-depth analysis of both the stock and the bond markets. Listen today and subscribe at schwab.com slash oninvesting or wherever you get your podcasts. This message comes from NPR sponsor JLL and their podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. It's gone through some upgrades recently, and it's churning out valuable insights on the industry to help you stay informed. Each week, you'll tap into a global network of commercial real estate professionals and hear about market trends, strategies, and best practices. So broaden your perspective. Subscribe to Trends and Insights, the future of commercial real estate at jll.com slash podcast. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Learning. IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. Get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash NPR. And we're back. So, Danielle, we've been talking about the politics around abortion in 2024, talking about the candidates. But let's get into the policy side of things. You have been consistently tracking where the Republican field stands on different abortion restrictions, policies, including a federal ban on abortion. So where do the candidates come down on this ban and how do they differ in terms of when in the pregnancy abortions would become illegal? Right. So the question of a federal abortion ban in this presidential race has largely centered around a 15-week federal ban. That is something that 
former vice president, also former Republican presidential candidate this cycle, Mike Pence, he was pushing for it, but also something that other anti-abortion rights groups have been pushing for. Of the candidates we've been talking about today, Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley have both said that they support a federal ban. Uh, Chris Christie, Vivek Ramaswamy, they both have said no. And Trump, as we said earlier, has been noncommittal on this. Now, there have been some shades of gray, though. Uh, Nikki Haley has said she would sign a ban, but she always lately couches it in, but the Senate would never pass this anyway. So this is really kind of a moot point. So that is how she tries to soften her language on that. You know, I'm curious, Danielle, like when we're talking about Ron DeSantis, I mean, he does support a 15-week national ban. I'm curious if he supports a six-week ban because he did just sign one this year in Florida, and he has said that he wants to make America Florida. I'll be honest. I don't know if he has actually been pressed on that. Mm -hmm. And I I reached out to all of these candidates, by the way, on all of their views on all of the abortion topics that we were talking about today. And I heard back from very few of them. And one of the the ones I didn't hear back from was Ron DeSantis. One thing you do have, though, I will say in this race is a lot of candidates, when they are pressed on, well, do you want to do X at the national level? Often candidates will say, well, States get to do what they want at this point after Dobbs. There's another part of this, too, which has been pushing restrictions on the medications that are used in the majority of abortions in this country. Those drugs are mifepristone and misoprostol. Are the candidates weighing in on this, too? No. (laughs) Long story (laughs) short, no. And this is a really important question because presidents, as we have seen from both Trump and Biden, do have at least some leeway in terms of how much they want to restrict or not restrict uh, access to medication abortion. So, for example, shortly after the Dobbs decision, Biden instructed his Health and Human Services Secretary, Javier Becerra, to use every available lever that was uh, the phrase they used to protect access to medication abortion, to work through the FDA. For example, the FDA lifted restrictions earlier this year to allow people to get abortion pills at a retail pharmacy, just the pharmacy down the street. So that's one way. The other way is the Justice Department. So Merrick Garland has recently asked the Supreme Court to take up a case in which an appeals court said that the pills couldn't be sent through mail or telemedicine. Long story short, the Biden Justice Department this year asked the Supreme Court, could you please keep these pills available through the mail or telemedicine? Because that is a way that women in states where abortion is very heavily uh, is heavily restricted or banned, that's a way that those women can get those pills. I actually think there's something really interesting politically about the fact that candidates, especially Republican candidates in a primary, haven't felt the need to weigh in on this because restricting medication abortion has been a long-term goal, at least in the past several years, of the anti-abortion lobby. And for many years, this is the kind of thing that Republican candidates would take their cues from all the time. But because the political winds have changed and the anti-abortion lobby is so out of step with the electorate right now, it's really interesting that Republican candidates in a Republican primary aren't talking about this. Yeah, it's kind of, it's so notable because this is not only a story of what the candidate are saying, but also what they're not saying. Exactly. 
I know we talked about voters a little bit earlier, um, but I'm curious what else you all have heard from folks on the trail as you've traveled out in the country, mm-hmm. um, particularly among some of these Republicans who who maybe have historically voted uh, with a quote unquote pro-life stance and are maybe now in, in a shifting position here. Uh, are they focused on things like, you know, I prefer a six week ban over a 15 week ban? Are they talking about banning these drugs? I mean, when when they speak about abortion, if they even are, what are you hearing? I think the most interesting group of voters that I've talked to um, are suburban voters, like people who are would largely consider themselves independent, but mostly vote for Republicans. And what I have heard is really not a lot of specificity about policy. That's not really surprising. Voters don't tend to be really technocratic when they think about how policy affects their lives. But what I have heard mostly is just a sort of discomfort with the extremism mm. of of some laws. You know, I will say like when the one of the last times I talked to suburban voters was I went to a county kind of close to Austin here, and I mostly look for Republican women. And so Texas has, you know, probably the strictest abortion ban in the country right now. It's almost, you know, besides saving the life of the mother, you really cannot get the procedure here. Um, And that has really changed the way I hear a lot of voters that I would usually hear say that they support Republicans on this issue sort of shift away from that. And I think, you know, that's a that's a telling sign for Republicans because Suburban voters are a demographic and a a sector of the electorate that Republicans need to do better with. They've been really struggling the past couple of years. Mm -hmm. I think those are the voters that are really going to be more interesting to watch on this as we approach a general election. Perhaps those Republican-leaning voters, people who have voted for Republicans Mm -hmm. for time immemorial, when you get down to the nitty-gritty of this issue, people's opinions start to really shift or splinter a bit when they start to think about the particularities of what happens with a tighter yeah. uh, abortion ban. Yeah, absolutely. Um, definitely an issue we will keep hearing for the next 11 or so months. 11 months, is that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 11 and a half? Yeah, yeah, like I said, time is not a real thing. <laughs> um, definitely an issue we're going to keep hearing for the next uh, 11 or so months as we hit election year once again. Uh, thank you guys so much for everything and all of your reporting. We're going to leave it here for today. I'm Deepa Shivaram. I cover the White House. I'm Danielle Kurtzleben. I cover politics. And I'm Ashley Lopez. I also cover politics. And thank you for listening to the NPR Politics Podcast. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Capella University. With Capella's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. The day's top headlines, local stories from your community, your next podcast binge listen. You can have it all in one place, your pocket. Download the NPR app today.